Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to episode 68. I'm really excited about today's guest because today's guest is someone that I know personally in my life. He's my godbrother. His name is Michael Artis. And my godbrother is someone who recently visited our home country, Liberia, West Africa. And during his travels there, he was inspired to start a streetwear brand called Mall Anomaly. In this episode, my godbrother, whom I call Mikey, (laughs) regularly throughout the podcast, talks about his struggles with being a perfectionist. But most importantly, how he pushed past being a perfectionist. One of the most shocking parts of this interview is how Mikey shares he had everything he needed to launch his brand in his house. He had boxes of his streetwear shirts in his house. He was wearing his product out and about but he would never say anything to anyone about it. And this story is one of those stories that for those of you who are are fearful, who are nervous, who are scared, this is going to be the interview that I hope helps to change things for you. I'm Janelle B. Stewart, and I love to laugh, dance, and travel, but what I do best is talk. I'm here using my gift to inspire and empower you to live a life filled with positivity and abundance. Welcome to the Look on the Bright Side podcast. All right, now before we get into the episode, I just want to give you a little bit of background about Michael because he is pretty amazing. He's actually an executive in media advertising and tech at the Walt Disney Company. And now he serves as the designer and creative director of his streetwear label, Mall Anomaly. Hailing from New York City with deep roots planted in West Africa, Mikey is a second generation Liberian American, and he is now the Mall Anomaly brand's designer and creative director. Now he sees the importance of representation and the celebration of cultural confluence through personal style. And in this interview, we're going to get into the backstory about how this brand came to be while Michael was standing in the middle of Liberia's fast-paced waterside market. For those of you who want to see behind the scene of what Liberia's waterside marketplace looks like, definitely join us on Patreon as I'll be sharing clips of images that Michael took while he was in Liberia, West Africa, and what inspired this new brand that was founded in 2020. Mikey, welcome to the podcast. What's up? Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you. I'm so happy to have you. So let's kick things off with you telling me a little bit about what your career path has looked like. Gotcha. Yeah. Currently, I am a director in ad tech media at the Walt Disney Company, basically an exec at Disney. Uh, formerly, we're at Hulu, but now we've kind of, uh, you know, been taken over by the Walt Disney Company. So part of that umbrella. And then I've recently, you know, ventured out to kind of do like a bit of a side project, a bit of a passion project um, with my brand Mall Anomaly and kind of just doing streetwear. Uh, and kind of focusing my attention on that uh, to some degree at this point. A lot of my project management skills have been like applied to this venture as well. So you'd be surprised how many of those skills are really transferable. And, you know, ultimately my heart is in fashion. I am in creative direction as well. I'd like to, you know, kind of pivot that into doing it for other brands and kind of overseeing brand direction for that. So that's kind of where I am right now. But even in the space I, I work in now, you know, I've kind of always stuck out like a sore thumb, you know, just for the way I dress, where I'm from, et cetera. So, um, and not just because I'm black, but because, you know, I really embody like New York City style, street style, and definitely bring it to the workplace all the time. And I think with this brand launch, I'm really building a foundation to see where I can carry my professional and creative skill sets to do that at 100%, like I said, and to even be a creative director again for like other brands and yeah, that's kind of where I at where I'm at with the the direction for career. 
Awesome. So you did just kind of mention with this brand launch. So let's take a moment to let my listeners know what is the brand that you are launching? Right. So yeah, Mall Anomaly is the name of the brand. It's a streetwear brand. The the first run of the brand has mostly t-shirts and like accessories, like branded totes and branded t-shirts, um, some graphic tees. The plan is to expand the line into like a a wider offering by spring of 2022. So kind of working toward that right now while also working on some fall winter releases as well. But yeah, the brand um, takes its name from a trip I took to my parents' native home in Liberia in 2018. The brand's direction for the first shoot kind of is based off of that. It's based off of this location in Liberia called Waterside Market in the city of Monrovia. And they kind of have like this great marketplace that sells just about anything you could think about. And I remember like just really taking it in and just being like really an experience. And I remember kind of uh, within taking that experience and I felt like kind of othered in a way, in a way, you know, just being in that space for the first time. This is a, a picture of it. <laughs> for those of you who are watching us on the video podcast, obviously, as Michael was talking, I've just been going to different pictures from his website so you could see the fashion pieces he has. And now I'm showing pictures from the market in Liberia. So if you're tuning in and you're not a Patreon pledger, you can't see all of this stuff. So go ahead, support the Patreon, become a $10 and up patron, and then you'll get to see this behind the stuff stuff. While we're here looking at this, what was going through your mind as you're like in this marketplace? So just walking through it, it's like such a vast area of just like I said, like everything. They sell everything. If you need like some palm oil, if you need some <laughs> dried fish, any anything clothing all the knockoff clothing, everything from traditional Ankara, Kinsei cloths, they yeah. sell everything, the wide range, jewelry, wigs, everything. So kind of just walking through it, you're taking it in. And this is my first time in Liberia. And clearly I look very much different than a lot of the people. I have a ton of tattoos on my arm. <laughs> I just, you, I look different, you know? So you're kind of like a spectacle the entire time you're walking through it. And mind mm-hmm. you, this is my parents' uh, native home. But um, it just it was an experience. But I think that's what the the brand takes its name from is being in the middle of this marketplace and kind of feeling like an anomaly in that moment. So it was a really great experience, even with feeling other than that moment. I still felt like home, but it was definitely an experience that I wanted to document and kind of weave into the brand, especially since there aren't a lot of brands, you know, especially from West Africa that are doing a lot of streetwear fashion in the first place. I think Telfar is probably like the biggest coming out of wealth, uh, West Africa. And then you have a few other brands across the, 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 the country that across the continent that are, you know, doing uh, streetwear and fashion, like head of state and a few other ones like daily paper. So yeah, there's, there's, there's not many in the space. So definitely was excited to incorporate my heritage into it for sure. Yeah, I think that that's awesome. As someone who is Liberian, you know, I think if we do have fellow Liberians listening to this podcast episode, you may resonate with how what I'm about to say. But I do feel like growing up as a Liberian, there wasn't enough representation. Yeah, there wasn't enough representation. And I think that like pride that I find in many other Caribbean communities, I don't feel like we really had that because it always seemed like our family was trying to escape it, right? And when you hear of your family trying to like leave a place, it doesn't really make you think that it's a great place that people want to go to. So what made you decide, I'm going to go to Liberia? What, what even made you decide to do that? Right. Well, it was it was a trip by circumstance. Right. But also I had the choice not to go. Right. We had a, a, a death, a funeral in a family. And I was like, you know what? My father lives in Liberia, actually. And I hadn't seen my father. We were estranged for about maybe 15 years by circumstance. Mm. And I was like, you know, I just I just felt compelled to take that trip. So I took it and it ended up being like something that was, uh, you know, life changing experience. Getting to see Liberia for the first time, like my grandmother 
and her two daughters left Liberia in 1980 after mm-hmm. the first coup. They came here. My, my mom was only 10 years old and they left Liberia in 1980 and came to the States. My grandmother never looked back. Like you said, it was kind of like we're starting over. We're going to Staten Island, we're going to Park Hill, you know, shout out to Park Hill. Staten right. Island. Little Liberia, 55 Bowen Street. <laughs> kind of left and never looked back. So kind of getting to take it in for myself was like an amazing experience and kind of seeing where my family came from and kind of connecting the dots and understanding why, you know, your parents or grandparents said certain things that they said growing up or, you know, why their outlook was certain ways on the world because if they had been in this place for so long, which is a both beautiful and an ugly place at the same time. So it was an amazing experience kind of getting to take it and I'm looking forward to going back in, in 2022. Awesome. Awesome. We should definitely chat about that to see if that is a journey I can join you on if it fits schedules and whatnot, because I do really want to go, but I do not want to go alone. <laughs> has your mom has your mom been back? or No, she- very similar to Godma Martha. Rest in peace. She is not interested. I understand, you know. And her sisters have been. My aunts have gone and they have even built homes as many Liberians are doing now. It's great to see like how excited they are about going back. But my mom it does not have any parts of that right now. So we're really hoping to uh, work together to change her mindset on that. My ultimate dream is to buy a beach house in Liberia. Yeah. You know, our play cousin, Abim, he's working on that. I think I saw that, yeah. Yeah, he visited. His mom is there a lot. His younger sister is there a lot. And he bought property by the water on the beach. And he showed me an example of someone's property on the water by the beach that he wants to do the same. And I was just like, wow. Like, we could go to Liberia and be like, ballin'. (laughs) And it's our own country, you know? Exactly. You know, I feel like growing up, we always saw, especially now as, you know, Afrobeats music gets more popular and we see a lot more representation from like Ghana and Nigeria. And, you know, I feel like it's time for Liberia to enter the chat. So I'm really I'm really kind of, you know, representing and putting on for my my country. So my my little white star. So um, let's go. Yeah, I'm here for it. I am here for it. And I really appreciate you sharing that and thinking about how we can get Liberia to be a country that people love and are proud and are proud of, right? Right now when people hear about Liberia, they only think of the civil war and the the the, the devastation to the country, but there are amazing things that have come out of there that is not being spoken about. Very true. So, you're in the mall, in the shopping market, and you just decide I'm going to start a fashion line, like, like <laughs> just out of nowhere. A lot of it. So I've always wanted to do fashion. Like I said, I've always I've been dressing myself since I was three years old. So I've always had an interest in clothing, a style in general. I feel like my parents were very stylish people. So I've always kind of been around style and people that were into like, you know, individualism through style. So it, it was always very, very easy and innate for me. So I was kind of always into it. But I think when I started to like piece together like a mood board, a lot of those pictures and my travels that I had been through was kind of inspiring it. And I love how intersectional the art was looking based off of, you know, places I've been, you know, people I've respected or people who've inspired me. So I think that was kind of like what, you know, I was able to marry that idea of like definitely want to represent home, but also want to, you know, um, marry different places and, and themes that I've, I've kind of experienced and taken in. Okay. I really love how a passion of yours being fashion and style was birthed by being in this space that felt like home for you. I think that that's really awesome. And the Look on the Bright Side podcast is a space where we want those powerhouse dreamers and doers to hear encouraging stories like this and feel inspired and recognize that inspiration can come from anything And the idea to do a fashion line could have just been an idea, but you did move forward on it and you've made it a reality. So how does someone who has their background as an exec, 
in a tech space. Hulu, now Disney, just start a fashion line. Like, how do you, what do you do? What do you use? How do you get this going? Is Are you being mentored? Like, where are you getting the information from? Um, <laughs> a lot of times, though, so there, there's no mentorship. It just takes a whole lot of guts and a lot of prayers. You know, it's just, just going into it. I feel like with me, like, I'm very focused on doing things and doing it the right way. And sometimes that's not, that's not how you become successful. You got to be willing to take risks. You got to be willing. Like, everything's a risk. You get on a plane, it's a risk. You know what I'm saying? So you got to just be willing to go ahead and just take that risk and just say, listen, I'm going to do this. You know, I kind of was like hoping to release the clothing line at the start of the summer. And then I was just like, I'm such a perfectionist. So I went through all these different design changes, creative direction, tweaks, and all these different things. And I didn't release until 831. But even until even with releasing at the end of August, almost the end of summer, I kind of still felt confident in what I was doing because I was just doing it anyway. But as far as getting it done, I will always say just start with your business side. You know, you definitely want to set up the LLC, which I think you should do first and then do a ton of research on like what the marketplace looks like, you know, how you get things done. Uh, look for online resources. YouTube is dope. Definitely always something to, to you know, help you kind of get more knowledge on, on whatever you're researching. And if, if you're in the fashion and you're looking to kind of get into design, creative marketing, stuff like that around fashion, definitely I would recommend taking a course. You know, I took a course. I took one with Parsons and the, the new school. I was able to get in for free, like a scholarship kind of situation during the pandemic. And it definitely taught me a lot about how to market a very simple, like something as simple as a streetwear, a t-shirt brand or something like that. And that kind of really helped to motivate me. I took it in January and completed it in March. And it was kind of just like something that helped to fuel my confidence behind, you know, what I was doing. Even though I don't feel like I needed it necessarily, but I felt like it did make me more confident because I was fully researched in, in my marketplace, you know? So I think definitely the research, the LLC, take care of your business side. I definitely did that first. And then for me, I think understanding the cost, the budgeting, how much it's going to cost you to get this done, to get your, um, your product in the marketplace. And then you also, the design comes next, right? Like some people would say like, understand your audience before you design. But to me, that's not how a true artist works. And me, I like artistic in integrity and not pandering. So I just design. And if you like it, <laughs> I determine my audience <laughs> on it. But if you like it, you like it. If you don't, it's not for you. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. I, I love to stay true to myself and what I believe in and my artistic integrity. I think that's how I, I've approached it. And particularly for the, the, the field that I'm in, the streetwear landscape is very precarious at this time. So it's oversaturated and there's a lot of brands that are really lost in the sauce. So I'm constantly trying to think of ways to stand out. And I think that's where I started to kind of, you know, marry my my, my background and my heritage with the, the brand's direction, the creative um aesthetic. So I think that was kind of what made me go in that direction to really kind of stand out again, because there's not a lot of it in the space, you know? So, yeah. Understood. What are some of the tools and software that you're using that you have found help you to run your business? I think definitely as a, as a graphic design business, definitely a lot of um, Photoshop is important. You use Photoshop? Ugh. I hate Photoshop. Really? Yeah, because it's so technical. The things that I want to do, the software just requires a lot more um, understanding and training than necessary for what I'm trying to do. And there's a lot of easier tools now like Canva, although I don't know how it would be designing a T-shirt in Canva, but I don't like Photoshop. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. I, I don't use Photoshop for like, cause it's, it's very difficult to use like all the layering and different yeah. stuff like that. And sometimes I even freelance the services of other people, depending on how, like I said, I'm an exec. So I have a lot going on on a day-to-day -day basis. Even running this business is a stretch for me in a lot of ways, you know? So I kind of look through services like Fiverr, um, Upwork, kind of get some, some um, you know, outside assistance wherever I need to. And it's great, it's, 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 it's cost efficient and sometimes very quick turnaround. But um, some Photoshop, I have some Photoshop experience. I mean, for editing photographs, 
from the shoot. It saves you a ton of costs. A lot of times a photographer will charge you a ton of money for editing. So you can kind of do your own editing, especially if you know what you want the finished photos to look like. So Photoshop for sure. And I actually did my own website. It's, it's the first iteration of what I hope to be a very great, you know, website at some point in time, but it works for what I need it for right now. Yeah. What platform are you using for your website? Um, I'm using Weebly currently. Oh, okay, cool. It's very easy. They got like some pretty good templates. You can really plug and play and kind of just insert your graphics in there and just figure it out. A lot, all these things are really like a lot of like legwork to like learn it. You got to have the time and patience to really sit there like Photoshop to really sit there and, you know, learn it. Yeah. yeah, no, I totally get it. But I think it's awesome that in an effort to learn more about this, your business and to grow your business, that you're just dedicating the time to learn these things. And, you know, when you learn new skills, then it becomes something that you can do easily and you don't have to spend as much time on it. But in the initial stages, it can be difficult. And I love that you outsource when you need to. I think that that's a thing that a lot of us uh, small businesses, brands, and creators need to do more of and not feel like we have to do everything in our business because that's how you scale. If you start incorporating some um, outsourcing, you can start doing getting things done faster. Even with this podcast, I um, started a Patreon and you are one of my patrons. Shout out to you. <laughs> but the support of the patrons, people like you, makes it easier for me to get these episodes out every week. And I don't have to worry about spending hours editing. I can hire another black creative and have them edit it for me. So we all have to be willing to outsource some of the stuff that we want to do in order to get to the successful level that we're looking for. Right. I'm also like, I'm a really big proponent of learning it and taking the time to really sit back and learn how to do certain things. Because what happens when you can't find someone to do it in the time frame that you need? So I'm definitely a proponent of like, if you can just sit down, you know, buckle down and kind of learn how to do it, you'll know how to do it for the future. And like, you know, we've discussed this. You can also teach other, like, I mean, while I'm here right now, you can also teach other people how to do it, you know, because there's a lot of things that, you know, with my brand, I could have done or paid other people to do rather than do myself. So, you know, it's it's good to learn. This is yeah. all learning. Ooh, it's getting so good, right? Well, when we return from this short commercial break, I'm going to continue on my interview with Michael. We'll be right back. I'm Janelle B. Stewart, and you're listening to the Look on the Bright Side podcast. Support for the Look on the Bright Side podcast comes from Jesse Monroe Nail Care. If you're a girly girl and you love taking care of yourself, you want to pamper yourself and make yourself feel beautiful, check out jessiemonroenailcare.com. Jessie Monroe Nail Care is a woman-owned black business offering vegan nail polishes that all can wear. They offer so many colors to choose from and they are all beautiful. Trust me, I personally have many any of the Jesse Monroe Nail Care nail polishes in my collection. So let me help you out by giving you three of my favorite colors. First is Come Through, next is Polar Bear, and last is Keep It Mellow. Go and check out jessiemonroenailcare.com and use code BRIGHTSIDE20 to save 20% on your entire order, excluding bundles. If you're a book lover like I am, you probably have a pile of books on your bookshelf collecting dust. I mean, I want to read them, but I'm just too busy. Well, I found a way to read books without actually reading them. It's not magic. It's called Audible. Audible is a membership service that provides customers with the world's largest selection of audiobooks, as well as podcasts, exclusive originals, and more. I opened my Audible account in 2017, and since then, I've listened to almost 200 audiobooks. Most of the books I listen to are by Black authors such as Carl Weber, Christina C. Jones, Tiffany Haddish, Gabrielle Union, First Lady Michelle Obama, Francesca Ramsey, Taraji P. Hempson, Jennifer Lewis, and Elaine Welteroth. But I also really love a romance novel, honey. I also love business and self-help books. 
Getting an Audible membership is one of the best decisions I ever made because I can listen to audiobooks while I carpool my kids or make dinner, do the laundry, watch my kids at their extracurricular activities or while I'm getting work done in my office. Every month I get one Audible credit to pick any title I want and I get to keep it forever, even if I cancel, which I never will. Plus, I get to select two Audible originals from the monthly selection. I can listen to podcasts, access daily news digest, and listen to some guided meditation if I want to get my zen on. You have to try out Audible. And you can even try it out for 30 days free, seriously free. When you visit audibletrial.com slash Janelle B. Stewart, you'll get one credit to get any title and you can access all the features that I have for free. If you're not sure what to get with your first credit, I highly recommend you get Will by Will Smith. You will love it. He reads it the best I've ever seen anyone read an audiobook. Visit audibletrial.com slash Stewart. The link is in my show notes. And let's start reading. Or shall I say listening? <laughs> and we are back. Let's get right back into this interview. So Mikey, what is the biggest mistake that you've made so far with your business? And of course, how did you learn from it? Right, right. A lot of mistakes. I made <laughs> a lot of mistakes. So I think the biggest would probably be I waited very long, like I said, to kind of like I'm, I'm I'm a perfectionist. Like I like perfection and I'm my own worst critic. So I waited very long to kind of start to like tease it. Like I was wearing my my line the whole summer, like, and not even telling people. And people were like, oh, I like that. And then you're like, I'm like, oh, well, you know, maybe I, I, I designed it, you know, like mad quiet, you know, not really wanting to say, because you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, put your artwork out there and be like, people be like, eh, you know, even though it's been, the reception has been incredible, you know, among friends, strangers. So I think I should have probably, you know, been teasing it a little more and kind of, um, you know, letting people know what I was working on to kind of get the brand out there, evangelize it a little bit. Um, and I think it would have probably helped me understand the general interest in the brand prior to release, which I think is important for knowing what your production quantities are. So I think when I went into it, I did get ambitious, though. I did print a lot for my first run. And it's been great, even though I initially thought that was a mistake. I did kind of look at it like, what if you don't sell it? What if you don't recruit what, you, what you've what you spent? But I think it's worked in my advantage because I actually did sell a ton and I was able to gift a lot of it to people who were like influencers and people who will be able to wear it and support the brand, which is great. That was a good opportunity in itself. And then I would say also not utilizing all of my resources, right? Like I, I spoke to you about this. I never thought, I didn't even, I didn't even factor LinkedIn into my, my social media strategy. I didn't think about that. I have like over 2,500 connections on LinkedIn. Why would I not use that as a platform, you know, to, to kind of push the brand and let people know that I have a brand that's out there. So using all your resources and just also having a strategy. I don't think I had a full marketing social media strategy beforehand to kind of understand how I could leverage partners you know, how I could leverage colleagues, influencers, stylists, you know, across all platforms. So I think that was something I definitely was, um, you know, I probably should have looked into a lot better before I, I went ahead, but still um, no mistake. Um, I regret for sure. Yeah. Well, that was a lot. I'm going to just circle back through some of that because there were so many gems in there. First thing you said was, you were afraid to kind of put yourself, put the brand out there and you were literally a walking billboard. You were just afraid to, you know, put it out there out of what would people say. And that's a very common thing that a lot of brands do. I have an episode here on Look on the Bright Side where I talk about imposter syndrome and I share how I had a tote bag that I made for my kinky, curly, coily me blog and YouTube. And I had thousands of subscribers, hundreds of thousands of subscribers. The channel now has over 18 million views. And I made this tote bag and never told anybody about it. Never. I was just too afraid of like the criticism. What would people say? What would people think? And 
you know, I think that this is something that a lot of people resonate with. So I'm really happy that you shared that. Like you had it and you were just like, I don't really want to talk about it. I don't want anyone to know. And whatever that feeling you were going inside, how did you get past that eventually? Right. I think I think it just goes into like, what do you have to lose? Really? Like if it sucks, it sucks. You move on and you do something else. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think I think that was the way I kind of thought about it. I didn't really I don't think I and I think what was good about this experience is I didn't need I didn't actually get the validation from anybody. I just dropped it on on August 31st. I got off I got off the plane from like um, I came from Mexico City. I like got off the plane that week. And just started dropping, you know, clips off on social media, like here, 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 here. And then people, the reception was just great. And I was like, this is coming out 831. You with it or you're not. You know what I'm saying? It was like, this could, this could fail or it could not fail. Either way, I'm gonna try saying I, I did it. You know, I'm, I'm gonna fail saying I did it or succeed saying I did it rather than not doing it at all. You know, I've had other ventures where I've like considered doing like you know, clothing lines or, you know, designing certain things and not putting it out because of the same fear or the fear that I wasn't ready to do it at a full scale. I think too, with this initiative, it really made me kind of um, commit to something. Like I can commit to this and I can do it long-term and just keep going. I think that was also the reason why I printed so much to begin with, because I was like, if I know I got to sell these t-shirts, I got to sell these t-shirts. So I'm going to commit to it and not quit or kind of not run and hide. Like I'm like, I like to do sometimes and I feel like I'm not performing or doing something at the level that I like to do it at. So it was it was it was good in that in that in that sense. But yeah, just just do it. Like that's that's the best way to approach it is to just do it. You try and fail, you know, try and fail or try and succeed, you know? Yeah. And then another thing that you said was not really like thinking about all the platforms you can be on and now leveraging relationships. That is crucial for a small business. I think a lot of people come out thinking that they if they reach out to people or something it's like bothering them or begging so what advice do you have or what is your strategy to get more exposure for your brand without feeling like you're being a bother you're slutting yourself out <laughs> can i say that <laughs> Slut yourself out, okay? Um, do do everything you need to do to get your brand out there. I think I was also like, I'm also a very like, like I said, I'm a perfectionist. I I'm very, I like to like keep my, whatever my image needs to be about like, you know, how I handle myself. It's the way I was raised too, like with, with you know, pride. And it's not ego necessarily, but very prideful in the way I handle things, not really asking for handouts and kind of not, but it's not handouts. You know, you 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 have to think of some sort of barter with people. If I give you a free item, help me promote it on your platform or, you know, just think through how you can leverage your relationships with people or leveraging some sort of barter system. And I think for me, I've been kind of like, you know, pushing myself out of my comfort zone you know, going to events throughout the summer or midsummer, early, um, you know, early fall and kind of just handing things out to people where I could. Like I said, those free gifts have been like paramount in getting people to repost the brand and kind of pushing sales, too, in a lot of ways. So just getting out there in any way possible. If there's events that somebody's having, go there, take a few items with you. You might just be there mingling around, saying hi to people. And you see someone cool that you want to wear your item. Be like, hey, I got a new brand. Are you interested in, you know, wearing it whenever you can? No pressure. Tag the brand. And really just kind of like being out there in any way you can and taking any opportunities you can, as long as they align with your brand, for sure. Like you definitely want to make sure you're doing things that align with whatever your brand's direction is. But definitely nothing's too small. Nothing's too big for you. Just go ahead and, and just do it, you know? Yeah, I really like that. It reminds me of the story of Damon John when he started FUBU. For those of you who haven't heard the story, you definitely need to find a podcast that he's on and just listen because he talks about how he would have like his one FUBU shirt and he would go around and just put that one shirt on people and ask them to take pictures in it. And he would go on sets as well and ask people to wear the shirt and then take pictures of them in it. And so the idea of just being fearless in your marketing and not 
taking it personal. If you don't speak about your business, who's going to speak about your business for you? Sure. Yeah. Now, the elevator pitch is important too. Like being able to really, you know, sum up what your business is in other in under 60 seconds um, and just be like, this is what I'm doing. Would love if you could wear this X, Y, Z, get people on board. You're doing this and you have a lot on your plate. You, like you said, doing this business is a huge undertaking considering how busy you are with work. Who or what is keeping you encouraged? Right. I, I just, can I say one more thing on the, the other part about like, um, you know, a mistake that was made? Cause this is a big one for me. And yeah, no I, have a friend, I have a friend that is, is like a really big, uh, she's really big in the marketing, the brand marketing space. And she works with some pretty big companies in brand marketing. And she was like, you need to be in front of your brand. Like people are more invested in you than your actual like item. Like you can make trash items, like honestly. And if you have a great story, people are going to buy it. We mm. see that now, especially with social media. And she was like, I think you need to be more at the forefront of your brand, kind of telling what your story is and kind of putting that in front of, 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 of people. So they have an understanding and connection to what the brand is about and who you are. So I'm kind of working on on a strategy to kind of get myself more. And she's kind of like, you know, assisting me in that way. But also even not using my friend who's a brand manager ahead of a brand launch and kind of waiting until after that's a mistake in itself, you know. So that's definitely something else on that on that piece that I wanted to add. That's a, a good point. Yeah, that is a that is a very good point. I actually for the look on the bright side listeners, if you want to know a little bit more about storytelling, we do have an episode here where I go into storytelling and I'm like, it's the key to a successful brand. So I'm happy that she said that. But to your comment about like not going to a friend who's a brand is someone who's in branding. I think it's common when we are not in need of friends services that we know they have like we just don't think about them because she's been in brand marketing, but you've not needed brand marketing. But when you do need it, you don't think of her because you don't just think about like her as the person to help you because she's your friend and you've not needed her services. That happens to me all the time. I'm like, oh yeah, you do do that. And it's like, like light bulb just went off in my head. I didn't think about it. That happens a lot. So my, my question is, you know, you have a lot on your plate. Who or what keeps you encouraged? Definitely the home team, for sure. The homies, you know, the people who've been supporting since I launched the brand in August, they've been, you know, important, like just doing simple things like reposting the brand, of course, purchasing it and wearing it, but like, you know, reposting a brand, sharing it across their social platforms, also telling friends the word of mouth, and then just, you know, having... If you, I feel like you just need one or two people that, you know, checking on you regular to see what you're doing on, on your brand, your friends, whoever it is. And I have like one person, my friend Stacy is an incredible person when it comes to like, you know, checking in regularly and kind of saying, what's going on with the brand? Do you need help with this? And kind of being really supportive. So I thought that was, you know, that's always um, an important part of it. You know, and then someone that you could also bounce ideas off of around like creative process or direction. I think that's amazing. And then I think I would say staying consistent and seeing those results, because, you know, when you see those results, they keep you going, you know, that that keeps you going. So I think consistency is one of the most important things about a, um, a brand. I feel like sometimes when I'm posting regularly every day, I start to see like how the uptick in my sales look. So then I'm like, OK, I need to stay consistent because this is what's moving a brand. This is actually what I'm seeing results from. So I think this 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 business is very results driven. So you do get that result from consistency. So I think that's probably one of the most important things for me. Ooh. I love that. <laughs> what good advice, top-notch advice. I have a social media post that I posted this week. If you're listening to the podcast in real time, it won't be this week, but it says success doesn't come from what you do occasionally. It comes from what you do consistently. So I love that. I love that. Uh, One more thing I will add. Go ahead. Let's add. I think for me, like, being a, a, a very hypercritical person of my own work, 
I think sometimes just like going and looking at what I've done so far and kind of assessing what I've done and being like, yo, I'm, I'm really proud of the work I've put out so far. And I'm proud of the direction I'm going. And I'm proud of how much I've been able to achieve, like constantly reassess yourself and like give yourself, um, you know, some, you know, some self-assurance on what you've been doing. I think that helps a lot to keep you motivated in your direction. So, yeah, I think I think that's been helping me a lot. Just being proud of the work I've done so far. Mm-hmm. How minuscule. Yeah. So you basically celebrate your wins. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. You know, even in my field, like we always say, like as a people manager, we always say like you got to like have people celebrate their wins. But, you know, even me, I don't really think about that a lot of times. So I think I've kind of really employed that in the way I've, I've handled this brand and kind of really sat back and being able to like assess what I've done and be like, yeah, I did this and I could do this at a bigger scale. I could keep doing this, you know, just stay consistent, you know. Yes, yes. So I would love to know what is your biggest win so far? Biggest win. (laughs) I'm going to be sappy. The biggest win so far has probably been just doing it. I would say, yeah, just doing it in general would be the biggest win because like I could have not done this and could have been in a space where you know, I'm same place I am last year. I haven't accomplished a personal goal or personal win. Um, yeah. So just to be honest, just doing it is a big win. And, you know, seeing how it resonates and how your brand connects with people and people likes reactions to it and how the, the brand aesthetic connects with consumers. That's a really big win, especially when you have people who buy your brand that you don't know. That's I feel like that's the dopest thing. Like I have like two orders I got today, this morning. One is like a drop off in Manhattan. And I'm just like, I don't even know this person, but you're buying my brand. You know, I feel like that's really dope. Like that, that really keeps you going and it motivates you. That's a big win is seeing that whatever you're doing is connected with people, you know? So I think that's dope. Getting people who are not your friends and family to buy yourself. (laughs) And then I think like for me being like a visualist and somebody that's big on aesthetics, I like just seeing the finished execution of the of, of the brand's photo shoot and everything that I was able to creative direct and kind of build the set and do all of these different things, I was really proud of that. So I think that was like the biggest, the biggest win, especially for someone that's hypercritical like I am, you know? Yes. The finished product is. So I had the privilege of hearing more about how you did set up your first shoot. I would love if you can share a little bit about that because it's very, it's really inspiring to hear how you used what you had, right? And you made it happen for people who are thinking minimally and with a scarcity mindset. This podcast is about abundance mindset. So when you think this is an obstacle, no, this is an opportunity. How, what can we learn from this? How can we look on the right side? So go ahead and share the original, well, your plans around your first shoot and how it all came to be. <laughs> so I remember telling, and you know, this is why you need the people around you who are not going to like curtail your big dreams. <laughs> They're going to really support your craziness. So I was telling my friend, Will, like he he shot the he's a photographer. Um, He shot the the first campaign. And I was like telling him, trying to explain to him, you know, what I was saying. I said it to somebody else. They were just like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. You want to recreate the marketplace aesthetic based off of some photographs that you took when you were in Liberia. And I was like, yeah, I was like, Liberia is like far. I'm not going to shoot it there. Realistically, I'm going to shoot it in the States. So mm-hmm. We shot it on my friend's roof at his building. I bought like everything that you see in the picture. The only thing is like the the Ankara fabrics, like the um the kente cloths. We actually like sourced that from like parents and like some personal stuff that I had at from home that I also bought in Liberia. And we're able to like source a lot of those things. The umbrella, everything was purchased and like sourced for like below on like Amazon and stuff like that. <laughs> so you see me coming the day of the shoot to my friend's building with like a hundred things on my back. I have like the umbrella, I have like the fabrics, I have all these crazy things just to kind of recreate the aesthetic that I was looking to to get. But yeah, I think it came out really well. Yeah, shot on the roof, shot on the roof in, in mid-July. Yeah, it's these pictures are awesome. Like I said, if you're watching the video podcast, as Michael was talking, you'll get to see examples of what it is he did. But 
your idea of trying to recreate the marketplace and not thinking minimally, just thinking what are the ways that we can get this together? How do we recreate this using what you had? I love the idea that you went to your mom and your family to get the fabric to use in the photo. I love it because our family has this stuff, right? Right. They have this in abundance. My friend also had like a ton of stuff from his mom as well that he just was able to bring through as well. And we're able to just like, it's it's the collaborative efforts for me that's like the most enjoyable, especially when you have those people around you that are going to like, you know, feel your craziness and just be like, yeah. So most photographers have probably been like, what are you, I don't know what you mean, but he got it. And I was just let me do my thing. And I, it was, it was great. Yeah. It's really important to have people around you, like you said, that will not curtail your plans, but will push you to do it. And I'm going to show, I'm going to also show now the picture from the marketplace, how the fabric is out there just like that. And I'm assuming this is the umbrella. (laughs) That was the original. Yeah. That inspired that. And then the person is just standing here, you know, wearing the, the fabric designs as a way to showcase like what you can do with it. I think that that's such a beautiful inspiration. I love it. And I think, I think that's where like the, the model in the streetwear kind of juxtaposes like what's the scenery. And I mm-hmm. think that's where the brand's name and all that kind of like all fell in line with it. So it was, it was a good way to kick the brand off for sure. Yeah, it's, it's very, very nice. And so what would be the best piece of advice that you have about running your own business authentically? Right. <laughs> I'm, I know I'm, a, I'm, I'm definitely going to beat this one into the ground, but just keep it consistent. I think for sure, uh, just keep in mind that this is a sprint. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon, right? Like you got to keep going. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You're going to keep running. Every day is going to be something crazy. It's going to be something annoying. You're going to have difficult weeks. There's definitely some weeks in particular for me where there's a lot of bull that kind of pops up, whether it comes on the side of production, scheduling, any sort of advertising hurdles. But I kind of just remind myself that, you know, it's a part of the process. And, you know, while you're building in that process and kind of, you know, learning the process is important no matter how tedious, because, you know, it's how you learn to work through these things and it prepares you for like scaling. You know, if one day I'm going to be scaling, I'm going to be doing this at a bigger level, I'm going to have an understanding of how to do this because I've kind of been able to jump off over all of these smaller hurdles to get to those bigger ones, you know? So those learnings will only help you out in the long run to prepare for bigger and better platforms. So I think for me, that's the best piece of advice that I can give you is just remembering it's it's not a sprint, it's a marathon and you're going to have to run it. (laughs) That's it. Yes. Yes. I love that. It's so true. So, so true. So what's next for you? What can we look to see from Mall Anomaly in the future? Nice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually, I just finished like uh, doing some design stuff this morning that I'm, um, I'm working on. So November, the third week of November, like right before Thanksgiving, we're going to be putting out some sweats. So like, um, tops and bottoms and some different colors with some really dope, dope designs on them. So it's going to be really, really nice for the fall spring to kind of run those stews. So I'm getting ready to like shoot the campaign for those. I got a lot of pressure because I've shot like a really interesting campaign for the first one. So I want to shoot something just as dope. That's what I'm working for, for like the immediate future. And then long term, this brand is going to definitely evolve from just like a T-shirt brand. By the spring of 2022, we're planning to put out cut and sew pieces. So definitely excited about that. A lot of it's already designed. A lot of it was already shot in the, the shoot from the summer. So it's going to really fall in place to bring some of those aesthetics back for new items. So it's it's really cool. It's just a lot of things are just falling in place for me. And even when they're not, they're still working out perfectly. But yeah, definitely is going to evolve into, into a, a wide variety of, of different apparel pieces. And just for clarity, you said cut and sew pieces? Yeah. So actually like patterns, like things that are made from like a pattern that has to go to production so like button down shirts, um, slacks, maybe some overalls would be in there. There's a few pieces that are already designed that I shot for already, like I said, but just waiting to kind of expand it and be able to send it to like production. Because cut and sew is very different from, is very different from t-shirt print. Like t-shirt print is is, is like light. That's why I started with that, right? Because the 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 cost to produce is not as is not as much. And additionally, the work the work and the, the the effort put into it is a lot less. The level of effort is a lot less. So 
for me, it's really easy to start with t-shirt with a t-shirt brand because you're just screen printing onto a t-shirt, even though you're doing a design, but you're screen printing and you're kind of committing to that. The costs are less. Whereas like if you go into production, you're probably going to like China or Japan or, or doing something locally where you're designing and kind of um, working with pattern makers and production studios in the city or outside. It's a lot of money. It's, it's the cost is really high. So definitely want to put the brand and position the brand into a place where it's prepared to kind of do something at that level and do it successfully. So I think spring 2022 is a good time to pop off. So do you have any final words? Any last things you want to say? Just do it. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Just do, do it. it. I think I think the biggest victory is in doing it and you'd be surprised, you know, how people respond to it, you know, when you just do it. And I think another thing I'll say this as well, because it's been resting on me a little bit this week, just dealing with other people's businesses. I think it's very important to really it doesn't matter how small your business is, how small the purchase is. It's just to remember, like you have to treat every customer like a VIP customer. I think it's very important to your business to bring him back return business for word of mouth. You'd be surprised how quickly word of mouth could like end your business. And I think I've been like really kind of pushing myself over the top to make sure that I give every customer like white glove service. But it's it's it goes without saying, you know. So yeah, it's very important to handle your handle your business like a real business. Like don't treat it like a little business. It's not one of my, my friends, Stacey, gets mad. She'd be like, don't call your business a little business. It's not a little business. It's a big business, you know, so treat it like that. So I think I treat every customer like that when I when I interact with them. So it's great. That's awesome. Customer service is really the thing that makes or break the business, like you said. And it's like that first line that people see and feel and have with your business before they experience the product. It's how was the customer service? So I love that. That's a great tip. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now I know you guys are going to have a lot to say about this discussion and I just cannot wait to hear what you say. I'm looking forward to reading your tweets and Instagram posts and IG stories. Be sure to tag me. I'm at Janelle B. Stewart everywhere. If you love this podcast, here's three simple ways you can support it. Leave me a review. It's free and your reviews help to improve my podcast ranking on Apple Podcasts. Next, share this podcast with others. Also free and easy to do with the click of a button on your mobile phone. And lastly, become a patron and support this podcast so that it can continue to grow and help others live more abundantly. With that, I hope you all have a great week. And as always, I love you for listening. Bye.